start it again. Good evening. I was informed before we started, in fact, I was informed before I got here, that Sunday evening the crowd would not be very large. Well, I think you're a good-looking group. You're a little scattered, but uh, I don't know whether I trained you well before or what, but podiums on the main floor and all squeezed in. Well, no, not squeezed in, but we're all in a particular area. And I do have something I want to share with you tonight. Knowing that there would be just a few of us, that doesn't mean that we are to eliminate the responsibility of the word. So I do have something I want to share with you. I don't know how long it will take me. I don't want any of you going to sleep on me, so I may have to cut it short. But uh, I'm going to bring a lesson to you from one of the writings of the militant missionary apostle Paul. But I've got to do something before I do that. And that is I've got to put my eyes on. Hang on. From Galatians 2 and 20. I want to talk to you about the exchanged life. The exchanged life. Paul writing to the Galatians in the second chapter and the 20th verse. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Have you ever read those words? Yeah, I'm sure you have. Within that one verse of scripture, there are four statements that Paul makes. And I would like to share all four of them with you this evening. And I believe that time will permit me to do that. And I introduce the first statement with his words that says, I am crucified with Christ. Paul is using his own experience as an example of what has literally happened to every believer. Because if we are in Christ, then we have died to ourselves. Amen. The basic significance of being crucified with Christ is, I have entered into the benefit of that which Jesus Christ has done as the result of his death. What we are tonight, by grace, is not what we were born into naturally. We were born in sin. We were shapen in iniquity. Now we have been transferred miraculously by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as I shared the flaws 
that were the outcome of Adam's disobedience. We now share the benefits of being in Christ Jesus. Christ has not only paid sin's penalty, but he has also destroyed sin's power. Amen? The word destroyed, well, it is a military metaphor, which means to be stripped of authority. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, there was not only a penalty paid, but there was also a victory that was won. The first is the, excuse me, I flipped too far here in my brief notes. So Jesus partook of man's nature. We know that. We know that he made a decision. He chose rather to put on the Adamic nature of human beings and in so doing became what we are. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but while he was here on earth, he fully operated in the flesh, submitted to the will of his Father. Totally. He was God in flesh. True. But in the arena of the earth, the only authority that qualifies is the authority that God gave to man in the beginning. And that was, Adam have dominion. Then the psalmist David came along in Psalms 8 and around verse 6 and said that God has given us dominion over all the works of his hands. So we are the authoritative figure in this earth. And God came into this earth in various forms. Now, we know what God is, do we not, by John 4, 24. God is spirit. So him to relate in this arena, he would have to put on a form to communicate through. And he chose the form of man. Why? Because man is the authority in the earth. So he submitted himself. Deity submitted and condescended by choice to the beggarly situation that we human beings find ourselves in. One writer says he was tempted in all points like as we are. There's no exception to that. Why? Because he was flesh. He felt everything we feel. He could relate to us. He knew what grief, sorrow, rejection, pain, testing, all of that consisted of. He knew that he was in the flesh. So Jesus' death on the cross not only affects the penalty of sin, it affected the power of sin. Satan has been stripped of his authority. When he died, the Bible teaches us that there is a period of time that he even informed his disciples. He said, in a little while you shall not see me, but in a little while you shall see me again. 
Well, the little whiles are different with him than it is with us. But in that little while, he went in and loosened the captivity. How did he do that? The Bible said he had the keys of hell, death, and the grave. If you have the keys, you have the ownership. Right? The key will unlock the door. He has the key. So what we as the byproducts of his sacrifice have got to realize that we do not have to live in the guilt and condemnation that the enemy tries to impose upon us because in our humanness we make mistakes. Amen. We have one through Christ. Thank God. Now we have been released from bondage not because of something we have done, but because of something that has been done by Jesus Christ. Now, in other words, not only have we shared Christ's death, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. We also now, because of that, share his resurrection. Thank God for that. You can say amen, but don't say oh me. You can shake your head this way, but not this way. Amen. We are a blessed people. Paul now continues. He introduces, I am. I am crucified with Christ. Now he brings us to the second statement. Nevertheless. Now, what's the nevertheless? Because I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless... I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth, E-T-H in the old King James means continual. So he didn't say in Christ I live, he says I continually live, amen. To live in the flesh and also in faith at the same time is a paradox. Think about it. Paul's word here is not that we may be like Christ, although it teaches in the scripture we should be, or that we should mimic Christ, which we should also do. But here Paul says, Christ lives in me. Now, I don't know if that has ever grasped your thinking or not. But it's difficult for me to imagine that the one who made everything that is made is resident in me. That means whatever he is capable of is already present. Amen. I am healed before I'm ever sick. I am blessed before I ever need a blessing. My need is met before the need is ever there. Because everything he is, is already in me. All right. So Paul is telling us, we are not what we were. In fact, he puts it this way. He said, on one occasion, the things that I once loved, I do not love them any longer. And the things that I once hated, I now love. Then he writes to the Corinthian believers and he says, 
in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, these words. For if, for if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. But you've got to be in Christ in order to achieve that. If you are in Christ and you're a new creature, then the old things are passed away. And behold, all things become, and I think we need to pay attention to this word, new. New. Something new is not restored, right? It's not rejuvenated. It's brand new. It didn't exist before. It's new. He is informing us again that he used to live for himself, to himself. Now he says, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, there is a dead side to a true believer. Some of you are looking at me very quietly. There is a dead side to you folks. Amen. While we believe, our senses do not operate. We offer no response. We do not respond to what used to attract us. Amen. Why? We're new. The language I used to speak, I don't speak that language anymore. The things that I found enjoyable, and let me say this to you, where sin is concerned, there is pleasure in sin for a season. Amen. But once you become born again and new, there is no attraction to that. We have become dead to the curse of haunting guilts. You don't have to listen to what the enemy is trying to tell you, for there is now therefore no condemnation to them who are, and the word is in, in Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, folks. I make them. In fact, our society is so prone to understand our human nature that it put erasers on the end of our pencils and a lead in the computer because we're going to make mistakes. But at the same time, we cannot permit the enemy to ride our shoulder blade and constantly be telling us in our ear, you're not worthy because we are worthy. It isn't what we are, it's what he has done for us. Amen. And one of the marvelous things is if we would grasp the reality of that, that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Amen. That if we will do something, you've got to do it, if you will confess. And what I found out on a personal level, when I make the mistake, correct it immediately. Because the longer you let it go, the more powerful the guilt and condemnation gets. And before you know it, you feel unfit to go into the secret place. So if we would confess our sin, what? He, faithful and just, 
forgive us of our sin. So we have to become dead to the curse of this haunting guilt. Amen. And there are a lot of people who are believers that are miserable because of guilt. Now, we have become dead to that curse. Dead to the threats of yesterday's mistakes. Because we all make, we cannot live in the past. Amen. Cannot live in the past. But that's where the enemy would like to keep you. And if you don't know this about him, I'm going to tell you something that you need to know. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is continually in the court of heaven before the judge making accusations against you. He made an accusation against Job. And you said, what could the accusation be? His accusation against Job was, he serves you just because you bless him. And God said, I'm going to prove to you that's not the case. But there had to be an outcome. And when he makes an accusation against us, I found in Scripture that when the Bible says someone brings an accusation against you, don't deny it, admit it immediately, and let the enemy be defeated by the rightness of the judge who is our advocate and our mediator. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but I'm beginning to realize it more as I read the Word of God. Does my understanding totally grasp it? Not quite yet, and I don't know if I will in its entirety, but the Bible is filled with judicialness. Amen. Abraham said it in the beginning, the just judge of the earth will do justly. Amen. The Bible speaks of the court in heaven. The Bible speaks of the 12 in seat. It speaks of the hosts that are there, that we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. There is something that goes on in the heavens that if we're not careful, the enemy will bring accusation against us if we don't know how to bring our case before the foot of the cross. Amen. Death is the threat to our yesterdays. Dead to the fears of our tomorrows. I don't know what's ahead of me and neither do you, but this is one thing I do know. I know who I'm serving. Amen. And we are to be dead to the disapproving looks of circumstances. Now Paul states, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I've read that verse of Scripture by other translations. And they have said, I live in faith by the Son of God. But that's not what it says here. I live by faith of the Son of God. There's a difference of something in and something of. Amen? Now this third statement is extremely important for Paul is saying, 
Although I am no longer by grace the person I was, because now I am living an exchanged life. And I'm using the word exchange because this is not a changed life. Amen. We didn't change. It's an exchange. If you change something, you use what it was to continue to do what you're doing. We are not the past. We are brand new. It's an exchange life. Life in Christ. Yet I am nonetheless living this exchange life in this flesh. Amen. Now Satan's authority has been removed. But his presence as the prince and power of the air still exists. And he continually looks for our fleshly weaknesses and our sins, as I've already stated, to present accusations against us in the court of heaven. Now, we are living out this new resurrected life in a world that is contrary to our new existence. Am I right? Am I right? You can't see advertisement any longer that does not appeal to your flesh. Everything in this system of the world appeals to one thing. It is the appetite of your flesh. But we are a different people. We are now a, as the Bible calls, a chosen generation a nation of kings and priests under God. Amen. We have been selected, but we are still living here. Amen. Still living in this life. So we are living out this new resurrected life in a world that, as one songwriter put it, this world is not our home. Amen. Which is under the dominion now, don't kid yourself, folks. He is still the prince and power of the air. He was cast out and was given that place, and he will rule that atmosphere. And the Bible says that in Paul's writing to the Ephesians in the sixth chapter that we are in a battle with him, and he will work against us not in a form that will scare you, but he is going to work through those that are so close to you. Amen. That we are not wrestling against them. And that's why I said this this morning. We have condemned the sinner for their actions when they're not deserving of that condemnation because they are the byproduct of the darkness in which they live. They can't help doing what they do. That's normal for them. If that man used the language he used, that's normal with him. But you see, for us, that's abnormal. And if we're not careful, the abnormalness of that will put us in a state of becoming judgmental. But you've got to realize a sinner is a sinner, and they cannot help sinning. And they will do it unconsciously. Because they are just, that's their lifestyle. Amen. 
but we have been changed. But the prince and power of the air still rules in this atmosphere. Not in my notes, but I'm going to say this to you. This is what the power of prayer is so great about, that you have the authority to speak against that. That there is a prince, you may not know the, or understand this, but I'm going to tell you, there is a prince that rules over this area of Texas, a power of darkness. There is a mentality that he is embedded into the thinking of the mind of this particular locale. And if you listen carefully, you can pick up on it. He rules this, but we have the power to bring that down. Amen. We have that power. And that's the very reason the enemy opposes us. Because he knows what we're capable of doing if we grasp up here what we are qualified by grace to do. So we are living under the authority of a power whose purpose is as Christ said, to rob, to steal, to destroy. It is his initiative, motivation, to keep everybody blinded. Amen. And we're seeing that today, folks. The truth is being put right in front of people's faces and they cannot see it. They're blinded. Amen. And that is power of darkness. Truth is a liberator. Amen. But he has blinded the minds of men so they will not believe the truth. The Bible even says that they would believe a lie. And out of the process of that belief, they have damned themselves. It's not that God is damning them, but the powers of darkness has done that. So we are living out this new resurrected life in this atmosphere. And as long as we are in this flesh, living out this resurrection life, an environment in which Christ said himself, you shall have tribulation. We will always have conflict and we will always have tension. Amen. We must remember the Bible describes the Christian as a saint, not an angel. Amen. So then the only way to live life successfully is living it by the faith of the Son of God. By the faith of the Son of God. Paul did not say faith in the Son of God, but rather faith of the Son of God. When it comes to the subject of faith, the Bible says Christ is both author and finisher. Am I right? He is the originator of it. As well, he is the giver of it, according to Romans 12 and 3, that he, God hath dealt or distributed to every man. That's not to we just here on these soft green pews, but to every man. Every man that draws breath, God has already invested the gift of faith in them.
That's why every human being, regardless of where they live or the culture or the custom that they live under, there is a drive inside of them to worship something. Amen. Because it's born into them. The only thing is they don't know the right thing to worship. And even in the society in which we live, there are people worshiping gods that they have constructed. But it's because the drive is in them. And when that drive can't be satisfied by the thing they have put their confidence in, the suicidal rate of America has risen far beyond you can have ever imagined because they have no hope. Amen. But that faith has been given to every man. He is given a measure of faith. Therefore, my understanding is this. Faith is Christ. He's the author of it. He's the distributor of it. And if I possess it, faith then is Christ. Then faith if is Christ. My faith is first a life of receiving. There must be an incoming before there can be an outgoing. Amen. Life, air received in before you breathe out. You don't breathe out what you don't take in. The first is the cause, the last is the effect. Paul explains it to the Philippians this way in Philippians 3 and 12. Not as though I had already attained. I'm not there yet, he said. Neither were already perfect. We are not. But I follow after. Why do I? That I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Amen. To apprehend means to arrest, to grasp, to anticipate with anxiety. Then what Paul is saying is Christ has apprehended me. Amen. He has grasped me. The word of the Lord puts it another way. It says, he holds us in his hand. Amen. The word says, he is our victory. Amen. If he is my victory, I don't have to struggle for victory. I'm living in his victory. And yet we as Christians are constantly thinking we need to improve upon ourselves to gain the favor of him who has already won what we need. I am living not by my faith. I'm living by his faith. He has won the victory already for us. All I've got to do is accept what he's done for me. That's it. To obtain simply means gaining possession of a thing. But to attain implies having a long ways to go and that you will proceed slowly without the assurance of arriving. To attain something. I want that, but I've got to do something to get it. All right? You attain something by involvement, by work, by effort. And how sad that within the framework of the church, 
somehow we have misrepresented something. And that is, you are not saved by your works. Amen. And yet so much of religion is you've got to meet certain standards or you've got to do certain things or live by certain rules or go by a certain routine. That is not the case. We are not saved by our actions. We are saved by his action, which was taking our place. Amen. I don't have to get his approval. Amen. I've already got it. I don't need to have to convince him of anything. He already knows me. And the marvelous thing is, he accepted you just like you are. And your parents won't do that sometimes. Your spouses won't do that sometimes. Preachers won't do that sometimes. But God accepts us just like we are. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And in spite of that, he still accepted you. Knowing that in accepting you, as he did Adam, that Adam was going to fail. Do you not believe that when God made Adam in the Garden of Eden, he already knew that Adam was going to stumble and Adam was going to fall? Yes, he did. He did it so well that even before he said, let there be light, the Bible says, in the beginning before everything else, he prepared a lamb to be slain when even before the foundation of the world was even laid. He knew what we were going to do and made a way for us. He accepted you just like you are. God help us to accept each other. Amen. You obtain something by involvement to attain it. Work, effort. Put it this way, Dallas Cowboys do not obtain victory, they attain it. Amen. The victory must come through what? Training, strategy, sweat, practice, sacrifice. And even after they've gone through all of the strenuousness of that, and they get on the field, feel they are not assured of victory because they are trying to attain it. We don't have to attain the victory. We've already obtained it through Jesus Christ. It's already ours. Amen. I like that term that the Bible uses as an act of authority. He says you are to put your foot on it. That's an authoritative act, folks. Put your foot on it. Sometimes we need to say to the devil, no more, old man. I'm putting my foot down on that thing. No, you're not going to have that. And when you take that kind of authority, you're overriding him because of what you have received by grace. Amen. Our victory is not attained through a long process. Christ has attained his sacrifice, and through it we have obtained. Paul clearly explains it this way, and I'm going to read the scripture. Romans 5, 17 through 19. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Who was that? Adam, right? 
much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, gift of righteousness, shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the, and I've put in bold print, free. If something is free, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to beg to get it. It's free. The righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall all men be made righteous. Praise God. Our victory in Christ demands no work, no effort on our part to obtain. How do you feel today? I'm victorious. How can you say that? I can say it because he's already won the victory from me. My victory is not regarding to my circumstances or what, to the, what the doctor says or what my checkbook says or what the cupboard says. My victory is in Christ. It is done. Amen. It's finished. That's all there is. Yet you say now, but the word admonishes us. Work out your own salvation. So there you have it. I must work out my own salvation. Well, I'm not going to deny what the word says, but I'm going to invite you to read the rest of it. Because we go so far and we stop. The rest of it says this. For it is God which worketh in you in both to will and to do his good pleasure. We can work out according to God's good pleasure. Why? Because it is God that is working continually in us. Amen. He is, in our, he is, in a, he is our enabler. It is not because we have exercised great strength or effort Victory is entirely God's working his will to achieve good pleasure through us. How sad it is in a fellowship that I belonged to many, many, many years ago that they thought you were saved by the appearance of your dress and imposed all kinds of rituals. The women had to have long hair not only could it be long, they had to put it up on top of their head. Then it wasn't enough to put it on their head. They put a, had to put a hairnet around it. The sleeves of their dresses had to be down to their wrists. Their knees could not show. In the olden days, we had to know that their legs were covered by the seam that ran up and down their hose. No toe could show out of a shoe. All of that is works of men. Amen. It didn't bring us any closer to God. We used to say in that movement, women thought the higher they piled their hair, the closer they were to heaven. No, sir. 
You're not saved by works. And that may seem ridiculous to some of you, but there are that same type of mentality existing in the community of Christianity today. Not only in what we call Pentecostal circles, but through every almost Christian movement, there are these regulations and laws and standards. But I thank God I don't have to work. I know I'm saved by the grace of God. And I don't serve him for his approval. I serve him because I love him. Amen. I don't need someone to shepherd me in my actions. Amen. Or to follow me where I go. If I can't live for him outside of the church, then I'd rather doubt if I'm truly living for him while I'm inside the church. Amen. You don't have to struggle. Just accept who you are through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. It is not because we have re-exercised good strength or effort. Christ worketh in me to reveal my total helplessness and that all sufficiency is in Christ. Paul said it. I can do all things only one way through Christ who now strengtheneth me. Amen. And don't let the color of gray deter you from the kingdom. Don't let a few wrinkles in the face discourage you. Don't think because you've reached a certain age, you're disqualified. Not so. There is something every one of us can do in the kingdom of God. Amen. We have swapped our defeats for his deliverance, our brokenness for his remedy, and the jeopardy of our sins for his unfailing grace. And in the 20, 20th verse of Galatians, we discovered Paul's first paradox. I am crucified with Christ. Now he introduces to us the greatest paradox of all when he said, in the end, these incredible words, who loved me, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is not talking about the universal love that John 3.16 speaks of, which says, for God so love the world. Amen. That's universal. He's speaking about a personal love. Who loved me? He loved me. Amen. Every human being wants acceptance and very few of them get it. But here is God who says, I love you. I love you in spite of what you are. You can have six fingers on one hand and I'll still love you. Amen. 
he will not show prejudiceness or biasness. There is no partiality with him. He doesn't separate us by tongue, color, or nationality. He loves you. What doesn't love you is the power of darkness that's working against you. Amen. But he loves you. And I've said it and I'll say it again. He loved you, knowing everything about you and everything you were about to do, and he still loves you. Amen. It is one thing to sing, Jesus loves the little children of the world, but it's another thing to say, he loves me. Amen. Because... God's love, us as we are, and he saved us just as we were. One of the basic motivations of life, as I've already said it, is acceptance. And here is a mistake that so many people are deceived in believing. I'll become a Christian when I can change my life, when I can change my habits when I can stop doing this or stop doing that. That is a lie of the devil. Amen, folks. Because you can never change what you, you can never make yourself a better husband. You can never make yourself a better parent. You can never make yourself a better anything. Society cannot improve upon you. I don't care how many steps they teach you. That's not going to change you. There's got to be a exchange. You've got to become born again. Amen. And only God can do that. Only God can do it. It has been said that the incarnation of Jesus was his divine encounter with history. Well, what I've come to believe is what we need is not an encounter. But what we need today is a divine invasion. We need the Holy Spirit to come back into the institution called the body of Christ in a way that moves us so deeply that we are totally changed, totally changed, that we can do what Christ said. He said, the things that I do, you shall do greater. I believe that if we grasp who we really are, and I'm working at it on myself, folks. I believe that we can lay our hand upon the blind and they shall recover. I believe the lame can walk again. I believe that as Christ did it, we can raise the dead back to life again. Not because of who we are, but because we have victory in him. He's already done it. Amen. There is no need for us to, have, to suffer. The Bible says that Elijah the prophet died of the sickness that he had. We don't have to die with infirmities or afflictions. By his stripes we are healed. We're going to leave this life, but I'm going to leave this life in the grace and mercy of my God. Amen. All we have to do is embrace what he said we are. I live. But it's not me that lives. It's Christ living in us. When we die, something perishes and something persists. Because only 
because ours is not a restoration life. I excuse me. A rest, it is a restoration life. It's not a restored life to ours. Amen. God has resurrected us. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? In the light of that, we have the power to change Queen and Atlanta, Texas, for the glory of God. Hope you enjoyed the word. Hope to God he will help us see who we are and that we will move in it in a greater way. Thank you. I have enjoyed this weekend, and it's good to be with you. God bless you. Sir, well, stand with me if you would. I want more of Christ in my life. I, I really do, folks. I don't mind telling you, within less than a month, I'm going to be 82 years of age, but I want more of him. I want to do more for him. I want to go to more places. I want to accomplish greater things for him. Can I do it? I sure can. And so can you. So can you. So, Father, this evening I release, because I have the right to do that. I release an anointing upon this people in this room right now in a supernatural degree. I release it, Father, that the enemy will be subjected to the faith and the integrity of these people committed to you. I ask you, Lord, to anoint them because the difference is not what we say. It's the manner that we say it in. We need your anointing, Lord. And I speak upon Pastor Billy Dupree and Peggy, a new anointing of life, strength, encouragement, an undergirding, Lord, like the wings of a mother's eagle supporting her eaglets. My God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that we have a vision and we will not allow anything to move us from that. We thank you now. Bless these families, their homes, their companions, their children, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And you are blessed. Amen.